13, uh, as, as we kind of pick up the pace of some very detailed reports in the book of Joshua. Um, and so today's message will be Joshua 10 through 12, framed a little bit around Hebrews chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. Um, I, I read a funny story the other day. It's one of those, I don't know if it's true, it might just be funny, uh, but it illustrates a good point. Uh, a couple in their uh, late 80s uh, were starting to forget things. And so they went to the doctor together to get some things checked out. And he had talked about just uh, some things in life were going on with them where they were not going to be able to remember things as well. And he encouraged them to start writing things down um, so that they could uh, remember things that they forget. And uh, after checking the couple out, the doctor tells them they're physically okay. Uh, but if they would just start writing things down, it would probably help them in life. And later that night, they're watching TV, and the, the, the man, the older man, got up and, uh, from his chair, and his wife asked him, where are you going? And he says, well, I'm going to the kitchen. And she goes, will you get me a bowl of ice cream? He says, sure. And she says, well, do you think you should write that down so that you'll remember it? And he goes, no, I can remember to get you a bowl of ice cream. And she says, well, I'd also like some strawberries on top of it. You may want to write that down because you'll probably forget. And he goes, I can remember to put strawberries on top of your ice cream. And and then she says, well, I also want some whipped cream. I'm telling you, you may want to write all of this down. And he is a little flustered and frustrated and, and just goes, look, I can remember to get you ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. And he's a little irritated and he heads to the kitchen about 20 minutes later. He returns from the kitchen and hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. She stares at the plate for a moment and says, I knew you were going to forget my toast. We all struggle at times to remember things. We'll forget where our keys are or forget where our our wallet is. I know that was a corny joke. Forgive me. Father's Day is soon. Uh, Dad jokes are allowed. Um... Tomorrow, though, is Memorial Day, right? And, and so for Memorial Day, the whole purpose of that, and it's good to distinguish the purpose of these holidays. It's not Veterans Day. Veterans Day is to honor those who uh, served in uniform. Um, it is Memorial Day, and it's to remember uh, those that died in battle. And, and it's, it's a good thing to remember those things, uh, to, to remember details and, and look back on those things. There's a reason we record those things. There's a reason there's walls, right, with people's names all over them for all sorts of wars or tragedies like 9-11, things like that. Uh, we, we put up these memorials so that we'll not forget those names and those stories. In a way, our passage today is kind of that. It really times out well to be a Memorial Day passage. There are some objects of memorial here, uh, of names and lists of names that we're going to go through and we'll see. Um, But tomorrow is not just a day for us to get off of work or school. Uh, It's a day of memory, remembering those that have sacrificed their lives. It's a day that will be difficult for some. For many, it may seem unbearable. Tomorrow, whether you have been impacted directly, indirectly, or seemingly not at all, though you have, uh, take time to slow down, reflect on the cost paid by men and women for a cause they believed in, for our freedom. For Israelites, our passage today reminds them of God's victories, not defeats, God's victories in, uh, in, in, in their God bringing them to his land. 
Stand with me, if you would. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 16. It'll frame our time in the book of Joshua this morning. There was this old couple. I won't tell the whole joke. I won't tell the whole joke over again. But Hebrews 4, 8 through 16. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at Hebrews and the story of Joshua today, Lord, I pray that you will be the center of it all. What I love when we sing that song, it is my desire that you would be the center of my life, that you would be the center of this church. Lord, today, let us see your glory and your majesty on display. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when we look at the summary of what we're going to look at today, there's a few things that are on display from God. One, one is his, his, his power, right? So, so Joe kind of introduced us slightly to the story last week, kind of that we discussed this morning in Bible study group of the sun standing still and, and the hailstones and all this, this amazing stuff, right? So I want to read to you kind of just in the idea of the priority of prayer. Look at this, Joshua 10, 12 through 14. It says, at that time... Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said, in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. I want everybody to say the Lord fought for Israel. Now think about what's going on right here. The Gibeonites are, are part of Canaan that God had told them not to make covenant with. But they were shady. And so they showed up and with ratty clothes and ratty stuff and were like, look how... We're, we're not from around here. We're from way away from here. So you should make a covenant with us. So they investigated a little bit. They asked some questions. But they, they, the key verse in chapter 9 is verse 14. And it says they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. So on their own wisdom, right, which the Bible is really clear all over the place, lean not on your own understanding. You Listen to me. You are not smart enough to figure out how to do life on your own. Now, can you survive? Can you even maybe in the world's eyes be successful? Certainly. Plenty of examples of that. But when, when we really find out what actually matters, 
which is being in the presence of God and walking in the will of God. And my argument will always be that that's far better than any worldly success you could ever attain. You, you can't do that on your own. You cannot accomplish... Listen, I love, I love the book of Proverbs, how much it talks about wisdom. My favorite one is where it says, if you desire wisdom, the way to get wisdom is to get wisdom. I mean, it's just like you, you, this is, you, you don't naturally have godly wisdom. You have to pursue it. The Lord fights for Israel. They did not seek the counsel. But then the covenant's there. An imperfect covenant like we discussed, but the covenant is there. It's perfect on God's part because all his covenants are perfect on his part even when we mess up on our end. <clears throat> and so these other, these other cities, these other areas, these other kings in Canaan think, well, look, if they're going to defect and they're going to take the side of Israel, then let's go after them instead of Israel. So they start to band together and go after the Gibeonites. And, and Joshua, holding to the covenant that was made, even though it wasn't a great covenant, goes to defend them. And, and not only does the sun stand still, but there are like uh, precision hailstones, right? So we talked about these hailstones that come and they just hit the bad guys, right? Like they don't... They don't hit the Israelites as these precision-targeted smart bomb hailstones that are just coming in, in God's power, as God displays his power. And then Joshua says this prayer for the sun to stand still. We had a great question, and I, love, I honestly I love really good questions. I think good questions is how we make progress. We have to be willing to ask questions. We had a great question of, shouldn't he have said earth stand still? Because like we all know that the earth revolves around the sun. We know that now, right? They didn't know that. We know that the earth revolves around the sun. And so if you say sun stands still, like God could have been like, well, it already is. So done, right? My kids love to play this game. They'll say, uh, I can predict your future. Your heart will be beating in 30 seconds. Pretty safe bet. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's that same kind of thing. If the sun stands still, well, it is standing still. But here's, here's what I want you to catch with that. In, in our ignorance and imperfection of our prayer, God still delivers victory. Right? It's not based on my ability to pray right. It's not based on my ability to say exactly the right words. It's not based on my ability to know the, the, the cosmology of the world and how it works. Now, that's not an excuse to be ignorant. You should pursue truth because God is truth. And when we're pursuing truth of any kind, we're pursuing God. Even when we pursue cosmology and astrology and all these things, it's how God made the world to work. And so in his ignorance and in his imperfect prayer, God brings deliverance. We talked a lot about this in our Bible study group this morning, which again, I'm pretty sure we're consistently have more than the ladies do in their class. I'm just saying. We gave y'all the bigger room and consistently we end up with more more men in there. Um we have to switch rooms at some point, but the priority of prayer. Joshua understands at this moment, even though God has already promised victory, that the victory can only come from the Lord. That it's the Lord who fights. And here, here's what I want to say as far as prayer goes. We can pray for powerful things when we're walking with God and we're pursuing his will. 
We talked about this a lot in our Bible study group that we can, we can, we can miss the point here. And, and, and you could start to look at all these things about powerful prayer and, and people will come up with these things. There's a whole, even a whole series out there. I'm not going to say by who about the sun standing still and how you should, you should pray for great things in your life and all this. And here's what I want to say. Be careful where, where you take the application of a story like this. The idea here is not, let me ask for great things for me, and God will do that. Self-serving prayer is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God-glorifying prayer that advances God's will and God's purpose. I I always want to publicly and clearly proclaim that any sort of name-it-claim-it prosperity gospel process is to be rejected and avoided. We, we, we cannot live by the idea that my words have more power than God's word, right? My, my words don't have more power over my life and my reality than the word of God itself. And the word of God itself says that in order for us to know God's will, we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind and not conform to the way that this world does things. That we're to be a living sacrifice. That when we're walking in that holiness, when we're walking in righteousness, we can then test and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And then Jesus says, yes, ask and you shall receive, but understand the context. Everybody say context. We always have to look at verses in context. And in the context, Jesus is talking about advancing his will. Understand that God will spare no expense to accomplish his will. He's never lacking. He's never checking his bank account to make sure it's enough. It's not like God sitting here going, man, I want to do great things in this world, but I just don't have enough. But he's not on the hook to provide for your plans. God will always resource his plans for his church but he's not on the hook for ours. This is why I love when we sing a song like Jesus be the center. Jesus, you be the center of this church. Not me, not my plans, not, not our elders, not our deacons, not you, not, not anything. Listen, the whole point of this whole thing is Jesus. This whole story from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. The reason we gather on Sunday mornings to celebrate the resurrection of I mean, that was a really good opportunity, church. Let, let's try that again. All right. We gather on Sunday mornings to celebrate the resurrection of? Jesus. That's like the easiest answer. It's the Sunday school answer, right? It's the one that you can guess and you're going to be right most of the time. This whole thing is if Jesus is the center, Jesus will always resource his plans. What happens is we get off on our own walking away and in our own ambitions and leaning on our own understanding. And then we run into a problem where all of a sudden our way of doing things didn't seem to work. And then we ask for God to do something big. And, and, and oftentimes God's going to go, man, I had some small ways that that was going to get accomplished if you just would have walked where I was telling you to walk. So church, I, I really continuously want to push us to the priority of prayer. I have a prayer time at 845 every Sunday morning in the Welcome Center, and we'll look at a psalm of the day, and and we'll take time as a church to pray. I would love for you to be with me. I would love for for our church. I'd love for us to have too many people that we can't can't use the Welcome Center. We've got to find somewhere else to go to meet at 845 because, listen, I've said it once. I'll say it a thousand times. 
My, my preaching, our band's music, and good strategy will not make this church what God's church is supposed to be. It'll be the power of the Holy Spirit, and it'll be prayer. Prayer is our greatest strategy. It's the biggest, most powerful, most important strategy. But as we continue on, that, that story, as well as many others, demonstrate that the Lord gives the victory. There's a report the Weather Channel did years ago uh, in researching um, is a weather event that was interesting. In 1814, British forces planned to burn down the White House. As a result, they gathered all of their weapons and sought to utterly destroy the nation's iconic structure. Ironically, a violent thunderstorm hit the area the very night that the British planned to invade. As a result... Their infamous plan was foiled, and they hurriedly exited Washington, D.C. Although the White House stands as a tall beacon of security and strength, many brave men and women have lost their lives during tumultuous storms that we call war. Life can also seem like a storm, but Jesus is the one who rescues us out of the calamity of this world. It's the Lord that brings victory. I was listening to a podcast last week on... uh, on church revitalization and church replanting. And it was talking about the idea of leaning on God for victory. And this guy said, I'll confess. It's a follow me for a second. It takes a minute to understand what he was saying. He said, I- I'll confess that there is no plan B for my resurrection from the dead. Right? When, when I die, that my only way I could, that I will resurrect from the dead, that I will be with Jesus is through Jesus, right? There, I, I can't do that. He goes, I have no plan B for the resurrection of my dead. I lean completely on Jesus. But if I'm honest, when I'm pastoring a church, I'm leaning on the Lord to bring victory for that church. But I've got a plan B if he doesn't come through in time. And in our own lives, it's the same way, isn't it? Like, sure, I would be willing to follow God's plan if he made it really clear, gave me a to-do list and really clear instructions. If he said, wake up at this time, read this passage, go to this job, eat this meal, hang out with these people, then go to this place and do this thing. If the instructions were super clear and I was guaranteed victory, I would follow Jesus. Well, that's not faith. That's just blind obedience. And understand that following Jesus is not blind obedience. He has evidenced his faithfulness over and over and over again. And it's why it's good to look at passages like this and remember that, to memorialize that in our own lives, to think about the points where Jesus had a better plan than we did, right? And to quit relying on ourselves for plan B, and then when our plan doesn't work, then going to God, understanding that victory comes from the Lord. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Not chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. For if Joshua had given them rest. Now, this is written way after the book of Joshua happens. Joshua's brought them into the promised land. Great conquests, as we'll read about today. This was where they were supposed to find rest. But it says that they didn't. It says that rest wasn't accomplished for if Joshua had given them rest, 
God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In all that Joshua does, Joshua is not the hero. In all that Joshua accomplishes, it's not complete. In all the victories that we will experience this side of glory, it's not complete. We will enter a real rest one day when we are in the presence of our Savior. I'm going to go through back in Joshua chapter 10 and 11 real quick. I just want to show you just real fast. I want to rapid fire through some passages to show you this idea that the Lord gives victory. Joshua 10, 14, there's been no day like it before since when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. Everybody say, for the Lord fought for Israel. Chapter 10, verse 19, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. Say, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. Chapter 10, verse 25, and Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Chapter 10, verse 30, the beginning of that verse, and the Lord gave it also and its king to the hand of Israel. Chapter, chapter 10, verse 32, the very beginning of that verse, and the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel. Chapter 11, verse 6, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. Chapter 11, verse 8, and the Lord gave to them into the hand of Israel. Over and over and over in chapter 10 and in chapter 11, it's demonstration of Joshua and his people following the instruction of the Lord and continually getting victory in the land that God promised them. Over and over and over. Now, it's easy for us to read these chapters and think. And you could sit down. I'm not going to read the whole chapters to you, but you could sit down this afternoon and in 15 minutes read chapters 10, 11, and 12. But you'll see this was not a short process. But they could have just said, and then they, they conquered all of southern Canaan and all of northern Canaan. But it, it, it takes a moment to list all the cities, all the places, all the cities, all the places, just like a memorial wall lists all the names. Why does a memorial wall list all the names? It wants, when, they, when we design those things, we want it to be overwhelming, right? The intention is for you to look at that wall and grieve because of all of those that have lost their lives at war. But it's also to recognize each name that made a sacrifice and the worth that that life was for the sacrifice that it made. And the other direction here, this intentionally lists every city. These are great, powerful cities. Remember, remember 40 years ago when Joshua first spied on this land and they came out and they were like, these dudes are huge. Those people are listed. Those, the huge people are listed in this list. And God is going, look, it was awfully scary when you saw it the first time 40 years ago. It was probably really scary to see it now. Joshua had this courage, but other than Joshua and Caleb, nobody else had ever seen this land before that was in this group. And so they're coming, and they've got to be overwhelmed. 
And Israelites constantly are overwhelmed by their enemies. You continue after the book of Joshua, just, just spoiler alert, they don't complete the job. They don't finish it. They don't get everybody in Canaan. They don't perfectly accomplish what God had for them to do, and they'll suffer the consequences of that for a long time. You go into the book of Judges, and you'll see over and over, as the men have been studying on Wednesday nights, it's this constant cycle of obedience and failure. Repentance, obedience, failure, repentance, over and over and over again. And all their enemies in the book of Judges are people they failed to defeat here because they didn't complete the job. And so God lists to remind them that he's perfectly capable of victory. I don't know what your list is for your life. Pastor, you don't know the junk I'm dealing with. I don't. I don't know the junk you're dealing with. But I know it's not greater than this list. I know you read chapters 10, 11, and and you'll see in 12, you'll see a list of great cities, powerful cities, powerful enemies. God has no problem listing name after name after name after name how he's defeated them. So whatever, whatever your, your list of obstacles to faith and victory in your life are, know that your plan's not good enough. Know, know that plan B won't work. Only Jesus' plan works, letting Jesus be the center of it all and following his will, living out that Romans 12 to life, knowing that victory is the Lord's. It makes me think back to Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, when the Israelites are being led by Moses out of Egypt. They come against the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming after them. And and immediately, and and I I love to give them a hard time, but understandably, the Israelites start freaking out. And they're like, Moses, what was the point of this whole thing? Just to kill us by the Red Sea? Because it seems like there's no way out. And, And God says... To Moses in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. Everybody say, the Lord will fight for you. you. And you only have to be silent. You only have to be silent. To stop grumbling, stop complaining, stop scheming, stop trying to come up with your own plan. Psalm 46, 10, be still. And know, what? What did he say? And know that I am God. That be still in the Hebrew is translated cease striving. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop scheming. Stop planning. Stop setting up plan B. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Be still. Be silent. Sit in in the faith of the sovereignty of God that he will fight for you. That his victories may not look exactly the way you want your victories to look like, but they'll be greater. His plan is better than your plan. But we have to understand the sovereignty of God. Well, we have to understand that God is sovereign. I don't know that we can fully understand the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Both of these things are true. God is sovereign. That's a churchy word. You may not know what that word means. God God is all-powerful. God is in control. 
Nothing is out of God's control or power. At the same time, we are responsible for our actions. God God being all-powerful, God being sovereign, is not an excuse for you to just do whatever you want to do so that God's grace may abound. Paul actually even argues this in the book of Romans. He says, shall we then sin all the more so that grace may abound? And he says, by no means, in your English translation, but the, the Greek word there, maganunto, is a much stronger word meant to kind of shock you a little bit. Some scholars even say it might be reminiscent almost of a four-letter word. It is a strong communication. That's a dumb plan. That is a really dumb plan. Let's just sin all the more so grace may abound. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. For the word of God is living... No, that's verse 12. Let us therefore strive... So. So the victory is the Lord's, rest is given by God, but then his next instruction is, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience as the Israelites in the story of Joshua. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us when we read the story of Joshua, we should see it as a cautionary tale to not be like the Israelites. To not... Know that God has a plan. Know that God is sovereign. Know that God can give victory, but then still do it our own way. His caution is to look at the Israelites and not do that, but strive. I love this phrase, strive to enter rest. You ever tried to fall asleep? Now, some of you may be like my wife, and you can just lay your head down on the pillow and just go to sleep. I can't stand that. I wish I could do that. I just, man, that is my, I, I have to take Benadryl to do that. And then still it doesn't work. Like, and it's, it's so hard to try to fall asleep. I, I have ADHD. I, I, was, I have such intense ADHD that in the 80s, I was a test kid for high dosages of Ritalin on some of the highest dosages of Ritalin in the country. I literally, was, my blood was tested every month so they could see how my body reacted that much Ritalin. It was a bad plan. <laughs> but when I lay my head down, no matter how tired I am, there's 5,000 thoughts going through my head. And I'll think, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Striving to enter rest seems counterintuitive. But, but understand that the worst thing I could do is pull out my phone and start scrolling through Facebook or like that's not going to help me fall asleep, right? That light's not going to help. All these things, the only thing I can do is like fight hard to rest, to clear my mind, to lay still. And it's so not easy for me. Spiritually, this is not easy for any of us. It's not easy to rest spiritually. There's a reason God gives us Sabbath and he tells us to rest. There's a reason in John 15 when he says abide, it means dwell, rest in him and his love and his word. There's a reason that he says, my yoke is easy. Come all you who are burdened and I will give you rest. We are to strive to enter into rest. So here's what that means. 
there, there is a, a need for control in our lives. There's a need to be in the driver's seat of our own lives. There's a need to, to make our own decisions. And it is not going to be easy for us to loosen our grip of the things in our life. And listen, I mean even the most precious things in your life. Your spouse, your children, your job, your freedom. We can't cling to those things. In the book of Jonah, it says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. We can't cling to the things of this world. Listen to me, even the good things, even the blessings from God, we can't cling to them. We have to hold everything with a loose grip. And here's what I mean. If God were to find it to be best in his plan to take any of those things away from you right now, and he'd be right to do so, we can't try to hold on to him. That's a hard truth. Well, you can't cling. We're stewards not stewards, stewards, managers of all that God has given us. None of it's yours. Your house, your car, your job, your family, your money, none of that's yours. You're a manager, a steward of that. And we have to strive, we have to put in effort to loosen our grip and rest in who God is. We have to rest in the fact that there are obstacles ahead of us and things that are scary to us, but we can trust him. We can trust his sovereignty. We can trust that he's in control. But there's a striving, an effort that goes into that rest. See, God says, I'll give you the enemy, but not all the victories are like Jericho. Even Jericho, they had to march not really a military strategy, but they had to march around and they had to trust God's sovereignty and do their action. Trusting God's sovereignty doesn't mean, resting in God doesn't mean being lazy. Resting in God means walking in his wisdom and in his plan, not my own, not only even when, but especially when his plan doesn't make as much sense to me as mine does. We so often, like Joshua, we we survey the Gibeonites, we survey what's going on, we make a calculated decision, and then just trust the Lord to bless it. But even when everything seems obvious, when everything seems clear, when our plan seems perfect, we still have to seek the counsel of the Lord. The sovereignty of God does not negate the responsibility of man. Joshua 10, 16 through 19, they they were given the instructions to defeat these kings, these five kings. And Joshua 10, 16 through 19 says, these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Machedah. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Machedah. And Joshua said, so, so, so they find out all these kings, the five kings of these places are all hiding in the same cave. And Joshua said, roll the large stones against the mouth of the cave and set the men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Look, lock them up, but don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter the cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. 
Because God has given them into your hand, because God has promised victory, keep fighting. So there's this weird paradoxical idea of keep fighting, striving to enter rest. We fight to rest. We fight to be obedient. We fight to stay in the Lord. Anybody ever found, uh, know that I assume that your answer to this is yes. Anybody ever found that when you stayed out of the word of God, out of regular fellowship with church and, and the body of Christ for a while, like it's harder to get into it. Like it's harder to come back in and you find yourself at this place where like, man, I, I open the Bible and it's like, I don't even get anything. I go to church and it's like, why am I even here? At that moment, here's what you got to ask yourself. Am I smarter than God? I mean, look, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm just asking, like, is your plan better than God's? Is your plan of doing life on your own and only coming to church when you feel guilty and only reading your Bible when you feel like you need to? I mean, is that a good plan? Is that a plan that you think is going to work? It's not. And so here, here's what I mean. We have to fight to enter into rest. So let me explain it like this. When I wake up in the morning, every single morning, I wake up self-focused, selfish, angry, every morning. You can ask my wife. That's why I try to wake up before everybody else, so they can miss that part. And I have to, every day, fight to enter into rest. Every day I wake up and I think, my day's too busy to spend time in the Bible this morning. I don't have enough time to really sit and dwell in God's word, to pray through the Psalms and read the Proverbs and, and pray for the lost and pray for church members. I don't really have time to do all of that. Let me just speed through it. Let me read a couple of verses out of Proverbs. I can check that, that box and I can keep going. No, I have to fight with myself to say, God's plan is better than my plan. God's to-do list is better than my to-do list. I don't really feel like spending that amount of time in God's word this morning if I'm being honest. I don't really feel like praying for all of you by name if I'm being honest. I don't really feel like praying over my family members all the time if I'm being honest. What I feel like doing is getting my to-do list done because it makes me feel productive and makes me feel important. But I have to fight to enter rest because here's what happens. When I fight, and I open the word of God, and I sit there, and I read his word, and I journal about it, and I pray the Psalms, and I pray over you by name, and I pray over the lost by name, and I pray over my family by name. When I'm, when I'm going through that process, you know what happens? I find myself resting in the sovereignty of God rather than my own strength. Do you get what I mean when I say fight to enter rest. You got to fight to get things out of your hands. Quit trying to take control again. We lay our lives down as a living sacrifice at the feet of the cross, but then we just keep getting back up. So we have to keep fighting that old man. In, in Colossians and in, in several of Paul's writings, he talks about taking off that old man and getting rid of him. But it keep, keeps coming back. And I, this is not a one-time thing. 
fight to enter rest because the sovereignty of God does not negate the responsibility of man. Chapter 10, verses 24 to 26 says, And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five, of tre- on five trees, and they hung on those trees till evening. That's a gruesome story. But understand what's being demonstrated here. We've talked about, and if you want to talk more about this outside of here, I can do that. I don't want to take up time. But these are wicked people that have taken God's land, and God has got to get rid of these people for several reasons. If that bothers you, let me know. I'd love to talk to you more about why that is. But know that it's, it's, it's a necessary task of God. And so God, God knows this is the first really big battle that these guys go into. Jericho, all they had to do was march around the wall. AI they thought was big, but they ran off and then they just got scared and then they were able to have easy victory all over again. This was against five different kings and all their armies. This was a massive battle. And they've got to be nervous and afraid. And Joshua wants to demonstrate to them there's no reason to be afraid. God has promised us victory here. And so he puts, has them put their foot on the neck of these kings to show submission. I think pointing back to the prophecy in Genesis where it says that one day, one day there will come a king. One day there will come a man born of woman who will crush the enemy with his heel. The prophecy of Jesus Christ coming and defeating death on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. Verse 9 in Joshua of chapter 11. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. Over and over is this idea. In verse 15 and verses 18 through 19 in chapter 11, it communicates that Joshua did what God told Moses to do, what Moses told Joshua to do. It's this constant idea of submitting in obedience to God's plan. That yes, trusting in the sovereignty of God, but knowing that that does not negate my responsibility towards action. And the last thing I, I want to point out to you is the holiness of God. See, we struggle with a story like this and putting feet on necks and killing all these cities and we struggle with the, the, the violence, the completeness of this whole thing, wiping out whole cities. I think we struggle with it because we struggle with the holiness of God and what it really means that God is holy. Know that God being holy means that God is holy other than. He's not like us. The best parts of us are little bitty glimpses of the amazing goodness of him. God's so holy that he's not going to tolerate sin forever. He has mercy and he has grace. But this is a city that for centuries, centuries, has been a wicked, wicked place. It actually even communicates in chapter 11 that God hardened their hearts. That's a tough 
fact for us, right? But don't forget, God's sovereign. Go back to the story of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his, if you look at the story of Pharaoh back in Egypt, he, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 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 And then eventually, if you pay attention to the wording in that story in Exodus, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Next thing you see, it says, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Here's what you understand is God, God has grace and he has mercy. But, and God lives on an infinite timeline. But you do not. And there may come a time for you when God says, it's enough. And God may harden your heart. We consistently harden our, listen, without, without the grace and mercy of God, all we'll ever do is harden our hearts against him. It is even a gift of his grace and mercy that our hearts would get softened. Turn from stone to flesh. When we look at walls with all these names, it's overwhelming. If you look at chapter 12, and I won't read it today, chapter 12 is a list of kings that have been defeated by Joshua and kings that have been defeated by Moses. And a list, every name. Name after name after name after name, a memorial wall of people who thought they were greater than God when God demonstrated that no one is greater than him. The holiness of God is not a fluffy truth. The holiness of God is, is great news for when we get to be forgiven and in his presence, but it is not good news if you are not forgiven. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God, everybody say the word of God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit of the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The holiness of God, the holy word of God. Don't just read the Bible. Let it read you. If reading the Bible has never convicted you of sin, I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just being honest. If reading the Bible is for you just a source of like encouragement to make you smile, make you feel and have a better day, man, there are some places that the Bible can do that. But the Bible tells us that the Bible is living and active and it's going to cut you to the core and point out your sin so that you can repent of that sin and submit to the holiness and sovereignty of God. Now what's beautiful is you continue reading in Hebrews chapter 4. And it talks about the high priest and it talks about the way that we get to access to the holiness of God. And then it says something absolutely phenomenal. It says that those of us who are washed in the blood of Jesus can now draw near to the throne with confidence. 
Do you understand we shouldn't have confidence? Do you understand that his holiness ought to be a phenomenally scary thing to enter into because of your sin, because of your imperfection, because you fall short of the glory of God. I fall short of the glory of God. Walking into the holiness of God, he'd be perfectly right and just to do whatever. Entering into the holiness of God was, has always historically been a scary thing. But then the blood of Jesus, which is just, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's unbelievable that when we're washed with the blood of Jesus, adopted into the family of God, that he was hung on a tree like those kings as a cursed one, that he became the curse of our sin so that we could stand righteous before a holy God. That is phenomenal news. But you have to fight to enter into that rest. Not for salvation. Salvation is is by God alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. But as we continue to grow, we're fighting into submission. We're fighting into submission of the Holy Spirit. We're fighting the sin out of our lives, not by our own will, not by our own strength, but we strive to enter into rest. We deny ourselves, we take up our crosses, and we follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, that you are sovereign, you are holy. Lord, you offer us rest. We are so often restless in our own selfish ambition and self-focus. Lord, I pray that we will strive to enter into your rest. Lord, for any here today that have never entered into that rest, Lord, I pray that they would come to saving faith, that you would draw them unto you this morning. Lord, may this church be centered on you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.